I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they've played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Uh, Man United fans are sick of Liverpool fans thinking that Jurgen Klopp invented football, says John Claffey. Time to find out what we think in the performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is we've just lacked that intensity. Boom. Okay, so every Monday morning here in the performance rankings, we go through uh, the bad, the good, the grand. We go through the red, then the amber, then the green. Let's have a look at what's... Uh, up for grabs today, uh, we've got uh, Waterford, PSG, Manchester City and Leeds. But first up in the red, the very, very red, the scarlet is the OTBAM team. Because sometimes we get things wrong on this show. Sometimes we just completely drop the ball. We don't have our research done. We don't have our facts right. Last Monday was one of those days. We sat here on Monday last, chatting through life, chatting through sport, thinking that everything was fine. But everything was not fine. People at home would have noticed that something was wrong. Jerry Gilroy was not happy whatsoever. Yesterday, last Monday rather, was a pretty big day, wasn't it, Jer? Look at your face there last Monday, as we forgot. Kind of sunburned. Your well, birthday. But oh. hey, better late than never. One week late. Happy birthday, Jer. Oh my God, you are such, you are such a bag of dicks. We didn't do this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We thought it would be just better to, you know, do it on Monday when we actually found out. You kept this quiet. What age? It's, what age were you last I week? Did, I did. I was 45 last week. Oh, still 45 a, this week too. A big birthday! So happy birthday to you from me and from all the OTBAM team who picked up the ball and ran with it this week. So that is our first message out of the way this week. Uh, that is the only thing we got wrong, of course, last week. We never get things wrong on this show. Uh, it's actually my wedding anniversary today, which I kind of forgot. So. She just did a happy birthday again for his wedding anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks, Owen. <laughs> okay. Was there actual sport at the weekend? Uh, I think there was. Look at that for an actual list. You've been kicked off the bottom of the performance rankings by Mito Pereira. Ooh. We'll get to that in just a moment, but... Um, Let's kick things off at Waterford, to be honest, because I think that's one of the, the, the bigger stories. And I think they would actually be the team in fifth place this week, as opposed to Milo Pereira, who uh, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for this morning. So uh, Waterford hurlers have been dumped out. It's not the biggest surprise in the world, given what happened the previous week against Cork, but it is a massive surprise, given what we saw at the end of the league and even what we saw at the start of this year's hurling championship, where themselves and Limerick looked like the two best teams in the country when they went head-to-head -head in the first round. They've won one game in the round-robin format ever. This I know it's like we're three years into this now, three full years, but having won one game in those three seasons in, in this new format in the Munster Championship is just uh, an astonishing development for a team that have come close, who played in All-Ireland Finals, who've come close to, to being one of the best teams in the country. We thought they were on the crest of a wave last year after an encouraging 2021. Liam Cahill was kept on for another two years. He's on a two-year contract extension and all of a sudden we get to the end of this year's Munster Championship and it feels like Liam Cahill could walk out the door. He says he's not going to rush into any decision. He, as I say, he does have another year in his deal, but he's uncertain as to whether or not he's actually going to hang around. And not only did they lose yesterday, but they got an absolute hockeying which is uh, one of the most uh, astonishing things about this. And it seems, on some level, like the Munster Championship is just this random thing that can throw up any results. 
or maybe actually Clare and Limerick are just the two best teams and we need to, to kind of realise this and, and Waterford just aren't on their level. I don't actually know what to think and I don't know what to put this Waterford uh, disaster down to over the last few weeks because it does seem very, very strange given the league form and I know league doesn't matter. I, I mean, it's, it's really shocking when you consider that we thought that they were going to be able to catapult forward after the Ballygunner success into the league and then use that as this kind of rolling ball of knives through the championship and be the second best team in the country at least and potentially have the game to be able to put it right up to Limerick. And even at, after the first round of championship matches, you thought, OK, that, that's fine. There's, there's enough there for us to be able to, to build on. But, Jesus, this was like a horrific outcome for them, really, all told. And then aftermath, completely overshadowed by leaking of the team and a suggestion that somebody in the dressing room was, you know, not fully on board and that type of stuff, it's very, very difficult to come back from. And so I know Liam Cowell's saying now's not the time to make any rash decisions, unless unless it's just one or two individuals. But it, it didn't feel that way. It, it, it came so far away from where we thought it was so quickly that to be able to get that back on track is the type of thing that feels like um, you can try, but I've never seen it work. Like, you, you just have never seen it work. You've never seen anybody be able to come in and go, OK, we absolutely lost it last year, but don't worry, we know what we're doing and we can get it back. And I'm not talking about just the management team. It's like the management team and the senior players. And the character of the dressing room needs to be really under the microscope. Like, who are the people in the dressing room who are the leaders? And what is it about them that is allowing this to happen year on year on year over the last however long it is now? So, mm. And I, I think, like... There's, there's, there's the same goodwill in neutral counties for Waterford as there is for any other Irish sports team. We're desperate for them to win. We're, we really want them to succeed. But it ain't happening. I, I wonder as well what some of the kind of storylines we did see over the last few weeks tell us about Waterford. Like, we know obviously that the first week of this year's Munster Championship... Austin Gleeson was left on the bench after he was sent off a couple of games previous to that in the league. Now, this, this is not a, any suggestion of, of Austin Gleeson or anything like that, but I, but I wonder, did Liam Cahill's decision to keep him on the bench that day maybe speak to his need to try and take a tighter grip on that dressing room? Again, I'm not saying that, that Gleeson was, was, was a problem or anything like that, but, but maybe that just indicated that the manager was, was trying to do things to try and, as I say, take a tighter grip on things. And I wonder, does, does that speak to a problem or, or am I reading too much into that? Like the question around Gleeson, like the things that we do know is, is what we see on the pitch. And Eddie Brennan in the, in the Independent today is making the point that you want to see him back sitting as a sweeper. You, you want to see him back there. You, you don't want to see him up in the attack. And that's a question for the management as opposed to, to Gleeson himself, where he is positioned when it comes to application and things that are happening behind the scenes. We just don't know. As the thing is, yesterday, like Tony Kelly was rested. Um, there was there was whole the, the questions we were asking all week. Can Waterford win this game against Clare? Came down to this question of whether or not Clare would continue their momentum or whether or not they would make a few changes. They made a few changes and they still hockeyed them, which is just absolutely incredible. So uh, I think Clare deserve huge credit on that front as well because I I think when you talk about trying to put the genie back in the bottle with poor seasons, I'm not saying Clare had a season like Waterford have had this year over the past couple of years, but it did feel like Brian Lohan hadn't really had any success to speak of. And we were certainly unsure about how good a manager Brian Lowen was. And now this year, I think you've got to hand a huge amount of credit to Clare who managed to turn it around. Yeah, no, I, 
maybe maybe there's a parallel there and, and maybe with the early Tyke to Burke injury and a couple of other injuries as well but notwithstanding that this was a team who had momentum who had a pattern of play who had a defined way and, and an identity coming out of the league and then that blew up in championship when the pressure came on and I, like I don't know how important the leaking of the chain of the team really is. Big deal was being made of it yesterday. Like somebody tells somebody something, and then the team is actually as it was. Like I I don't know. I, some of that stuff doesn't really matter, and it gets blown up in the aftermath, and the microscope gets more intense. So I think he's he's like we were talking about him. Somebody had said he's manager of the year material, you know, after the league. Like and that's that's the level that his reputation is at. So um, maybe if they decide that they sh- they they want to go back they should be given the opportunity to go back it's just that that might just be a lost year for everybody if they do mm. the thing is I mean like are we reacting too much like I mean to, to like we could also have Tipperary in the red here this morning let's not forget after after getting dismantled by Cork yesterday is, is it an overreaction to just be like those two teams didn't get out of Munster therefore they're in the red um, I'm not uh, sure I'm not sure it would be given the magnitude of the defeats they shipped yesterday and we keep score for a reason yeah you know like, like I I it, it does feel that the, the um, ejections from Munster this year feel a bit more significant than in previous years, that they, this is kind of like a little bit of a, a real sort of ranking on, on where the, the power is in Munster and, like, I guess, the, the resurgence from Cork over the last little while. Like, Tipperary are arguably in a, in a worse position than Waterford at this point. Tipperary have to keep training. Tipperary could be out in a, in a relegation playoff in a few weeks' time if Kerry win the Joe McDonough Cup, which is... A little bit embarrassing. Antrim will look after them. Don't worry, it's grand, and they'll still be they'll still be Kerry with whatever team they put out. Is the is the gulf in class between those two teams? That's, yeah. Like, what, that's what's the truth. like? What's your take on that? Like, should should they have to go through a playoff for that? Um, I mean, I I, I don't know. The the we keep getting told the hurling championship is great and it works perfectly, but it isn't really great mm-hmm. and it doesn't work perfectly. And like, it's not giving us the the best teams up against the best teams. There should be. Like if the league is so if the league is so useless, then we could definitely move to a conference system where you you keep your Munster and your Leinster teams, but they all play uh, each other, and they also also play the Joe McDonough team so that they get an opportunity to step up. Like there's definitely a better system for hurling as they sit and rest on their laurels, laughing at how the football championship is evolving into this dog's dinner that it has become. Mm, for sure. Uh, we'll come back to that later on with uh, Taggy Fogarty, who'll be analysing the weekend's hurling. There's just a, a good heap of stuff to get into before we get to, to Mark Lawrence this morning. Just a quick word on Mito Pereira, who's also in the red this morning. One of our commenters is saying Rory McIlroy should be in the red this morning. Fair point. Probably after Thursday, it was a hugely disappointing weekend, and especially going two under par yesterday, that would have, would have been a final round that would have been more than good enough had he actually uh, had a better Friday and Saturday, and he could well have been in the mix. Like you look at that leaderboard, and you see Rory McIlroy just lingering behind them, and you think to yourself, he should absolutely be in the mix. But Mito Pereira was in that mix. He was a stroke clear with the ball and the tee at the 18th. Like this is absolutely incredible what, what happened. Like the oh my word. From the commentator when he sees the ball in the water is just one of those all-time dramatic moments. It probably won't be remembered all that much considering it's Mito Pereira and not, you know, Jordan Spieth at Augusta in, in, in 2016, but it's still pretty incredible. Like, I, I saw someone in Sports Illustrated making the point that it's, it's not John, Devel, John Van de Velde Carnoustie because of the fact that he actually makes a playoff in the end and, and bottles it from there. But I don't know, the fact that you're in the lead and then all of a sudden you're not even in the playoff, I think, is, is ripping the plaster off and, and even more dramatic. 
and like I'm, I've never made a, uh, a TikTok reference on this show before, but there was a, a, a TikTok during the rounds a, a couple of uh, over the last few weeks where a guy like walks out of a, a mansion carefree, and the caption is saying, "It is what it is." After going through one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, what did Mito Pereira say in his uh, post uh, round conference yesterday? Uh, it is what it is. Uh, we have that TikTok on screen, actually. Uh, so that that is Mito Pereira. Um, after after yes, I, I think that that's. I'm not sure. Like obviously, the the stories around Justin Thomas and and Will Zalatoris and the the, the three hole playoff and Thomas getting a second USPGA title. I think only the fourth golfer under the age of 30 to have got to two uh, USPGAs. But for me, the the story is is, is an incredible conclusion to to Mito Pereira's week. I thought you were going to break into my money down jiggle jiggle there for a second. No, that is for uh, the next. Uh, that is for Amber uh, Paris Saint Germain, of course, because uh, their money is definitely folding. Uh, look, I, I think Rory definitely at this stage. It's just um, you know it's a backdoor top ten again. There was a birdie opportunity around twelve or thirteen, and it just you know he hit the wedge in his hands from ninety yards, having driven it further than everybody else all week, and it was uh, it was like okay, well, this is the this is the moment for them, but. He couldn't make that, and that was the bit that would have put pressure on everybody else. And then everybody else did come back to him enough where you kind of feel like it was there for him if he was just able to put together a bit of a push, but he left himself too much to do because Friday and Saturday were no good compared to Thursday this time, Thursday and Sunday. So We will probably be copying and pasting this conversation exactly. into another major yeah. in the future. Uh, in Amber is Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, so Saturday is when a WhatsApp was sent from Kylian Mbappe to Florentino Perez to say, uh, sorry about this, but I'm actually staying in Paris. This is my home city, and uh, I love this club. I also love money, and I love power, and uh, I will be staying here. And it's, I guess, kicked off a whole sequence of different events. The reason why PSG, first of all, are in the amber as opposed to the green uh, is that it is now FC Mbappe at this point, given the demands that he has, I guess, been been accepted with. Yeah, he's obviously got a, a 100 million euro a year deal. The money doesn't actually matter. It does feel, or it does seem, looking at some of the reports, that he's going to have a huge say in off-field decisions and appointments in Paris Saint-Germain's hierarchy. So you've got a couple of notable departures happening this season. Uh, Pochettino's probably on the way out. Leonardo, the sporting director, is on the way out. Mbappe will be consulted, it seems, on the appointments of these successors. Now, we often have a conversation on the show about how you know, great players don't necessarily make great managers. I would say that great players are even less likely to make great advisors or you know, great uh, consultants or football directors. I, I think that uh, accepting that a player has such a say in this is, it, it has the potential for a disaster. And, and also we've seen that moulding a football club around one player just doesn't work. Like they could go and win the, uh, the the Champions League next season, and like, we we like the, that statement could just seem utterly stupid. But that's just because they have balls of cash, and themselves or Manchester City will more than likely win the Champions League at some point over the next little while. But what this has kicked off is obviously Perez is is fuming. But separately to that is the La Liga statement that came out on Saturday was incredible, and this is not La Liga coming out sticking up for one of their clubs. This is Javier Tabas who has been at odds with. Florentino Perez at multiple times over the last couple of years coming out and questioning the fairness of all of this. He, he called it, well, the La Liga statement said that this was an attack on the economic stability of European football. The statement said it's scandalous that a club like PSG, which last season reported losses of more than 220 million euro, 
but a squad cost of around £650 million for this season can close such an agreement, while those clubs that could afford the hiring of a player without seeing their wage bill compromised are left with, without being able to, to sign him. They said that they're going to file a complaint against PSG before UEFA. But the thing that we do know over the last little while is that PSG have such power in European governing football circles, like Al Khalifi sits at the top of the ECA, and for this to, to, to change at any time soon doesn't seem likely. So like, it does seem, initially when you look at that league statement, it's like, oh, this is sour grapes because one of the greatest players in the world isn't coming to your league. But I do wonder if there is like the nugget of a point there, especially when you consider that the Liga hasn't always been on Perez's side and they haven't necessarily always been on Real Madrid's side. So what you have next season is, is Mbappe and, and Haaland playing for Abu Dhabi and playing for Qatar. And in this Perez versus Al Khalifi battle, which is, I guess, indicative of where football is at at the moment, Al Khalifi has won. Uh, for now, yeah. And uh, Look, it's interesting. I, I do think there's a possibility this works like for... Paris Saint-Germain and by work I mean they just need to win the Champions League once and everything then will therefore fall into place it hadn't been working before with the constant Paris struggle between Leonardo and whoever the manager was so Leonardo's gone Pochettino's gone let's see who comes in like if Zidane comes in then is everything going to just be peaceful are they just automatically friends like does Benzema arrive after the World Cup I don't know I don't know what's going to happen did you see Benzema's uh, Instagram post the other day no uh, he put up a photo of uh, Tupac with his friend who betrayed him in the background. So <laughs> I, I would suspect that Benzema and Mbappe were chatting about how they were going to dominate La Liga together at Real Madrid. And uh, maybe, maybe Mbappe Benzema betrayed needs him. to follow the whole thing through and go, oh, I can just join you. Like, no? And everybody lives. Maybe he can't go back to Paris, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting story. We've only two more minutes left to do the last two bits, so... Yeah, Manchester City are in the green. Uh, they are Premier League champions once again. Very dramatic, yes. Was it a miracle? Absolutely not, because uh, they're incredibly well resourced. I think Manchester City should be forced to have a 37-year-old at the heart of their defence forever. Yeah. Forever. Uh, like, it should be the punishment for anybody who uh, comes close to breaking financial fair play rules. Just be forced to play a 37-year-old defender at the heart of your defence and, uh, and bring the level down a little bit because Aston Villa kept playing that ball over the top. Manchester City knew they kept were going to do that thing they were pretty time good and time again. And they should have scored three goals off it. Uh. The Ollie Watkins uh, moment from him being inside his own half, like he should have converted that opportunity. They should have been 3-0 up. And the yes, one where he nearly got a penalty. Yes. Like, I mean... If you're going to pick somebody from the Manchester City team to, to be the hero, you're probably going to pick Helge Gundogan. He, he is one of the more likeable players uh, in the Premier League. So uh, it's, I'm happy for, for Gundogan. And you know what? It was a, a couple of hours of real drama. But let's not get carried away and say this is some sort of uh, fairy tale that, is, that has happened in Manchester because it isn't. Uh, here's uh, Roy Keane's pitch invasion rant. Have a listen. Disgraceful, really is, and I tell you, something's going to—a player or a manager is going to be seriously injured. If you're mad enough to come on and punch a player, then you're going to be mad enough to do something silly like stab a player. There'll be something crazy happen. I think when COVID happened, play, people have come back after COVID and forgot how to behave themselves. Idiots, scumbags, disgrace. A, a player walking off a pitch and, and getting attacked. We've seen it during the week, obviously, a couple of times at Forest, St Patrick Vieira. The club's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, he's right, right? Like, there's definitely a rose-tinted view that pitch invasions are cool and we, we all would have done them when we were young. We all would have been on pitches after matches thinking this is actually amazing and it is amazing. But like, uh, you add in the, the 
toxic mix of entitlement and cocaine and all of a sudden people on the pitch at matches it's not as uh, it's not the sepia tinted nostalgic nice warm patting lads on the back and going well done it's like far more aggressive and it's grim yeah like it's, it stems from this place of if you're a, a sports fan there seems to be this increasing culture of wanting to make your opponents feel as miserable as possible after their misfortune and I get that sport is all about um basking in the glory of your rivals not succeeding. But it does feel it's kind of just gone over, it, 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 it like bubbles over to a really distasteful level, even before pitch invasions, like just the complete antagonising of opposition players or fans, uh, especially in football grounds. And I think that's probably the manifestation of it in a, in a physical sense, the, the thing that we've seen over the last little while, Billy Sharp, Patrick Vieira, Robin Olsen, all in the space of six, what, five days? Yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Well, I mean, obviously the pitch invasions are only going to happen at the end of the season, but um, the the ramping up and the amping up of it, where uh, you know the attacks have got as much as they have as quickly as they have, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, leads are in the green as well, right? But why don't we just save our leads in the green chat for football, which is coming up in in just a second? So it's seven fifty six. That's this week's performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. 